Hey, Jen, how's it going? Welcome and happy 2021. How are you doing? Thank you. Yeah, happy new year. Here's to a, a much better 2021. Don't want to jinx anything just yet. So, uh, yeah, keep it. we'll keep it vague. But, uh, yeah, doing good. How about you? Yeah, I'm doing really well. And I'm actually really glad that you came on this episode today. For the listeners, Jen and I are actually very close friends and we've actually came up through the ranks together, being either developers back in the day and kind of gone off in different directions, but I'm keen to kind of pick your specialist area in multilingual languages. Mm -hmm. So I guess my question is, or my curiosity is from, so in 2020, obviously, you know, the pandemic hit and lots of organizations had to move very quickly from maybe a standard face-to-face environment to a digital or, or virtual environment. I actually read an article last week which said that 60% of businesses that were affected by COVID are actually now increasing their spending in the training and digital learning space. So a consideration that I had was particularly organisations that operate globally, did they consider the need to translate some of their online learning to, into different languages to support their global market? Yeah. And, and that's where you come in, obviously, because you've been doing it for a number of years and you have a good oversight in that space. I'm just keen to kind of get your thoughts around multilingual languages. Or yeah, languages. so there's definitely an uptake. I mean, as you said, I've been working in a company that produces e-learning for um, mainly the European market. So around 25 market versions, about 18 different languages for, for some time now. But definitely this year, there was definitely an increase in the amount of courses that they wanted or or learning that they wanted people to do remotely. I think especially during the initial lockdown period after we kind of got over the kind of shock and the the kind of um, halting of everything, definitely there was an increase in the amount of courses to pass on because people were working remotely. Um, A lot of the markets that we work with, they normally have jobs where they're face-to-face with clients. Obviously, where a lot of those people were at home, they had the time to do the, the learning. There was definitely a time period after the initial kind of shock of the lockdown where people had more time to do their relearning and a lot of the kind of markets wanted their users to take that learning because they were at home where, where they would have normally been out face-to-face with clients or with customers now was a time where everyone was kind of stuck indoors, really, and they had that time to focus on learning. And so, yeah, there was definitely an increase in the amount of learning that, that markets wanted from us so they could provide it to their customers. It's always been going that way, but I think now it's definitely kind of sped it up to really focus on remote learning and ways that people can do it without these big face-to-face kind of training sessions um, that also used to be used. So, yeah, it's, there's definitely been... An increase this year in the want for those kind of web-based or remote learning. And you personally, did you suddenly see a spike in, in your workload in that? In that <laughs> Definitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, I mean, obviously everyone was kind of adjusting to what this new normal has been. And um, we thought that, you know, there might be a, a real kind of silence in terms of work and people kind of readjusting things or reevaluating things. And then, as you say, there was a real spike, probably maybe kind of May time, June time, after people had probably started to figure out, okay, what's the new process that we're going to be going with? How are we going to get to grips with these new regulations or this new way of life? And, yeah, they, it really did spike. And I think that what we've seen is 
a want for kind of fast turnover, things that we can produce quickly and to get them out to the the end user. We've definitely seen an increase in that. I mean, that could be because, you know, maybe budgets for certain projects have been reduced or certain projects are no longer happening because of the pandemic. And so there's been an uptake in getting information done quickly that can be sent out to the end user. We've definitely seen an increase in that, yeah. So can we break down the process of a multilingual course? What starts the process? Do you start off by building it and designing it in one language and then you work on the translations after that? How does that process work? Yeah, so for us, we tend to build a pan-European course. As I say, we work with European markets. So we build a pan-European course, which is in English. Then that will get kind of go through the review stages, a, a typical e-learning or a typical course or whatever your deliverable is. That will get signed off. And then it goes to be translated. So we'll typically duplicate that pan-European version and create the market versions and get whatever content sent to a translation agency. And once that comes back, that gets put in. I mean, there's obviously different ways of getting the translated text in, which we can kind of talk about, you know, depending on what tool you're using and what kind of software. There's different ways that you can kind of export the text and import it back in. And then after that, we have kind of a, a second step, which, you know, typically you kind of think of translating courses as just translating it literally from one language to another. We have the additional step where the course content or the whatever deliverable what content gets localized so it basically gets specialized to that market it's easy to translate a piece of learning into a different language but essentially that may not be applicable for people in in every single market there might be different things that need to be adjusted or changed it could be product correctness um, but it also could be things like soft skills you know is there certain cultural differences that they're done slightly differently in different markets. And so that's the kind of second step in working with different languages, different markets, is allowing them to tailor the content to their own needs so that it fits their end user. Is there, like, usually in, like, the design phase, do you usually, like, to get an idea of what a course may look like in a different language, would you do, like, a simple Google Translate to work out how a course might look and feel? Yeah, so obviously language length is a big consideration. You know, that you've got some languages that can be kind of double the, the kind of length of English. So I think German is quite a good one as a, as a test on that. That can be often like kind of one and a half, two times as long as in terms of sentences. Um, so when you design whatever layout you're going to have for your deliverable, it's always important to note that you're going to need that extra space. You know, you can mock it up in English, but really you need to allow maybe like an extra third for for any text to be translated and to fit in. So yeah, that's definitely a consideration. Typically things like designing them to work with kind of vertical layouts is more handy. If you've got things like lists or bullets, if you've kind of restricted yourself to a more horizontal layout where um, you have you might have your page split horizontally, you don't get as much additional room. Having it split vertically can normally give you that kind of benefit of a, a little bit more extra wiggle room. There's little things like that. And it's sometimes a challenge because you obviously want things to look different. You want them to be custom to whatever your client kind of wants, but you have to have these considerations. And there, there are quite a few, like you said, there's there's one for 
space white space on the screen that's a really important one making sure that you've got enough enough room and and typically i'll translate a couple of paragraphs or if anything looks a little bit like it or it might be a little bit too long you just give it a check um just using google translate it just gives you a rough guide it's not going to be perfect but it's a good indication of okay yeah it can hold that much text so we should be good for the market Awesome. And you mentioned that you, so you partner with a translation agency type scenario. So you probably probably have translations as part of your workflow. So typically how long does that translation piece take? I think we normally allow kind of a a week to get the translation back. Obviously it depends on the length of whatever piece of content or piece of learning that you're getting translated. But I'd say kind of 40, maybe 40 pages. I'd say maybe a 20 20 screen e-learning is probably you'd allow a week to get that that translated text back and then obviously from that you move on to the the localization which is working directly with the markets and tailoring their content to their own needs awesome and that deliverable so like the scorn forward or the end user products are you releasing just one product where people can select different languages or are you publishing different versions of the same course but but just in those different languages it's typically a a duplicated version of the pan-european it will depend on the deliverable but um typically it's it's a duplicated version the only thing that you can have then the problem that you can run into is if there's a change that needs to be made globally and when i say globally i mean just across all markets if you've duplicated your courses obviously that's a bit of a pain if you've got one course that you can control Globally, then, you know, that's much that's a much better way to do it because one change can be re- reflected in all those other markets. Whereas if you do have to duplicate it, obviously that could be 18 different changes that you have to make. So it depends on the tool that you're using, but typically we duplicate because, as I was saying, the content normally gets tailored as well. So it, it does shift it slightly more from what the pan-European started off as. Yeah. Awesome. And so you've been doing this kind of work in the multilingual space for for a few years now like have you seen in your experience the process get quicker or has it pretty much stayed quite static i think what i've seen is it grow into different different deliverables so um we kind of started with the e-learning and that was our kind of typical deliverable and obviously that was the one that would get translated all the time. I think since then what we've seen is a change in deliverables and, and that's partly because of the way that learning has evolved in terms of what end users kind of digest the best, how they digest different types of information. Um, so it's moved across to kind of video localization um, and translation and also things like more quick guide things like, you know, you might have a PDF, you might have like more rapid e-learning development as well. So I think that the number of tools or the number of de- deliverables that we've had has been a thing to change. And I think the process has remained relatively the same. I think that um, the, the different tools that you have have offered different ways to translate. But, but overall, our, our process has remained pretty similar. And I think that's also when you're working with the client, the end user, they have their process. And sometimes they can be, you know, quite rigid in that process and so i think that it's remained pretty much the same we've tried to streamline it as much as we can i think but um yeah overall it stayed pretty similar and how about the evolution of the actual authors themselves in this space have they stayed relatively the same or have they kind of evolved to support this this multilingual flow a lot more 
I think they have evolved to make the translation process the first stage of it simpler. Um, you have kind of rapid development tools which can export to different formats which the translation agencies can work with and it's a simple export and import. I will say I think that what they do kind of miss out on is that that second stage of, of tailoring it and how you review that content with your client. I think that although the translation itself, the translation phase itself is probably sped up, I'd say that the tailoring of the content to your different market is still remained very similar, um, really, even with the developments that there's been. I know I'm jumping around a bit, but I want to kind of go back to the translation piece again when you send it, when you partner with a translation agency. Have you ever done like a comparison between the translation agency and like Google Translate? Do you ever, you ever seen like a, a comparison? Is the technology getting really good in, in that translation space? I've done that. I mean, our, our translation agency, I think are, they're pretty good. They've got a, a reputation now. They're, 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 we use them, we've used them for a while and they are pretty good. We've done some kind of comparisons in terms of, obviously, a lot of the time when the translated text will come back to us, we don't necessarily have native speakers or native language speakers. When that text comes back to us, we don't necessarily have someone that speaks all those languages. It's more difficult for us to check certain things. And I, I think that that's when it gets sent off to the markets themselves and they can check, you know, make sure that everything is, you know, it might be translated correctly, but the meaning of the sentence might be slightly different to actually, you know, if you're talking about a certain product or, you know, a certain industry. And I think that's a really important step that they they can kind of double check that, that translated text as well. Someone new, so like a developer going into the translation space for the first time, what would be something that they would potentially typically miss in looking at a translated course? Are there any considerations that you always need to check for when you're going from one language to another? Yeah, I think that what you also have to allow for is, is not necessarily the straight kind of translation of the different language. I think it's also understanding that multiple people are going to have to be working within those files for the software and to kind of set it up as almost like a template really you know you want it to be a, the smoothest transition of you know all of a sudden instead of five lines of text you're going to have eight lines of text depending on your layout you know you might have certain things that will you know you want them to be aligned to the bottom of the page or you want them to be aligned to the kind of right of a, of a certain specific point in an image you need to make sure that your design doesn't override the translation kind of thought process because what you don't want to happen is that you design something that looks fantastic in your pan-european version but then as soon as you put in a different language like you might have some spanish text come in if it changes the length of that text all of a sudden your layout is completely distorted and you want every market to receive the version the best version of the course possible so i think that that's a real consideration almost like having that mindset that you're designing a template that is going to be changed around with um making sure that everything is, is aligned to the the most kind of natural place for if that text is to double in size or mm. you know change when, when, when you build that template is somebody else maybe in a different location then adding or to that or are you just literally giving them the, the template and then that's the final product so we'll typically give them the template and then once the translated text comes back 
that will be when you'll see how the design will change. And then we'll liaise if, if there's any kind of issues, if there's any changes that they want, um, then obviously we can like liaise and, and look into, you know, if there might be slight redesigns because, you know, the amount of text on this page actually doesn't really lend itself to this layout. So, yeah, we'll, we'll typically kind of work with those teams um, to make sure that, you know, everything looks as good as it can. For, for all those different versions and accommodate all those changes. But yeah, there's things to consider like having images, you know, you don't really want text embedded in an image because that means you're going to have to do that one image 18 times, 20 times. So things like video, you know, you don't necessarily want to have closed captions unless they're translatable captions. Um, anything where there's text embedded or if there's voiceover, you can, you know, add that voiceover and have it kind of, a different voiceover for every single market version but yeah it, it just needs to be a consideration yeah things even kind of things like infographics you know designing those you might have like real constraints as to where your text goes and the size of it but obviously you need to allow for the fact that that's probably going to double in size and so you have to kind of make sure that you know that's still going to look the way that it is or, or illustrate the point that you need it to once once that changes once the text is kind of in multiple different angles. And things like imagery, do you have to consider how a particular image may look in one country as opposed to another country? Do you, have, do you need to make those kind of cultural like nuances? Yeah, definitely. I think that especially when you're using things like stock imagery, it can be tricky to get something that's going to be received across the board and that can have the same meaning. You know, you don't, especially if you've got things like someone doing a thumbs up in an image or something, you know, that could be taken a completely different way or have a completely different meaning in a different market. And so it's quite difficult. I mean, obviously, a lot of the time we kind of lean on the markets for them to tell us that, actually, we'd like to change this image. This doesn't represent what we think it should. So, yeah, there's a lot of kind of things that you have to consider when you're, you know, producing one thing for, for so many different markets, you know, ethnicities of, of people, if you're using kind of stock imagery, is that product going to be represented the same way? Things like if you have an image and it's got a plug socket shown, that plug socket is going to be completely different and maybe not relevant to, you know, you know, if we have a, a traditional UK plug, it looks completely different to a lot of European plugs. I think a lot of the times there are kind of, there's things that the markets will kind of overlook it's not necessarily something that completely changes it doesn't break the course for them they're not kind of like well I'm completely not on board with this because you know I don't have those plug sockets in my country but then there's other things that maybe are slightly more important to get across the main goal of the course that you want to get product correct but at all times you try and make it as tailored to them as possible really because you, you never want someone to feel like they're reading something that wasn't designed for them yeah so what tools are you typically using these days to, for translation courses or what tools look interesting in that space in, in your life? So typically we have used Adobe Captivate. Captivate really, one of the main benefits of why we use it is because of its translation capabilities. Every, pretty much every tool out there has the option to export captions. But what Captivate has, which 
Hesman that we've used here for, for a very long time is the ability to save all your styles as well and export and import styles. And that gives us a certain amount of security if we export captions out. It can be passed to a lot of different hands before it comes back into the course. If you import it back in, you know, font size may have changed. It may have changed to, you know, Times New Roman from whatever your client's specific font is. But knowing that once you import them back in and you have all your styles saved as well, you can import your styles back in with Captivate and it basically just resets everything back to how the pan-European version was. That's a really key factor of why we choose to use Captivate because it gives us that extra level of security. You know, it doesn't matter what happens to those captions. You know, whoever's inputting those, those captions back into the document don't have to be precious about is still in the right font, it's in the right size, it's in the right colour. And it, it makes it a lot easier to get those courses looking the same um, because you've already got that, you know, it's, it's a really simple import. And uh, that saves a lot of time and effort for us. And it's uh, been a real key factor for using it. Cool. And any tools you're potentially looking at that looks pretty good? Or is Captivate still front runner? Captivate's our, our kind of bread and butter for the e-learning because of that factor really i mean obviously there's this storyline that has the same similar kind of export of captions we've been looking at more rapid development tools like rise itk rise which is great we the the good feature with rise actually when it comes to translation is that where you have like labels that are like embedded into the program they have kind of preset languages there for you anyway so obviously it's not as many as we typically need for the whole of europe but it just saves you some translation. You know, you've already got from a drop-down menu, you've got your German, French, Italian, Spanish. And so it, it just saves you that, that little bit of extra work. Rise has been good as well. We've been looking into some more kind of custom tools. And obviously there's a there's more of a challenge there in terms of translating. And I think that's where the kind of scales, the balance is that you have to kind of reach. And that is that you want to produce like a custom learning for your client and you know have you know really cool responsive e-learning with loads of kind of bells and whistles and things kind of zooming in and out and you know scrollable kind of interactions but then it's also making sure that they've still got the same level of control and tailoring as they they have had with previous e-learnings that's a, a balance that you know we're trying to strike to make sure that you can give them something that is kind of keeping up with the technology and you know looking as, as well as it can like yeah, a really super yeah, fancy that, website that, that's really interesting that's where my thoughts was going I guess it's quite hard trying to balance keeping it high level enough that it's going to hit the mark across the board but also be local enough um yeah to still fulfill that localized need yeah exactly it's it's tricky because you feel like you can put all of your attention and your energy into creating something that looks absolutely amazing um, and it will have some really cool interactions and, you know, it'll be really engaging and have these awesome visuals. And then you get to the extra step where you're like, okay, now I've got to translate this and, and localize it. And sometimes that can be a really difficult process because all of a sudden all of these things that, you know, really work in this pan-European or your English version, all of a sudden when you start to try and translate it, it can become really complicated. A lot of these tools that are more custom just use kind of draw coding really and and so you'll be looking at a more kind of html 
kind of process for development. Yeah. And there are tools that give you a more visual kind of layout in terms of actually developing them. But we're, we're still looking into how we can translate that because it's also the, the time as well. Like if you create like a really cool infographic that, you know, can move around and you can scroll through it and have video, if that really needs to be tailored and really needs to be changed for a different market, you know, how much time is that going to add on for you to completely redesign it for every market? You know, that could be 18 times that you have to completely redo it. And I suppose then how do you work with that in your budget and in your time frame? Because, you know, some things would have been kind of done by an instructional designer. If you then get asked to change something by a market, you know, does that need to go back to someone who has that, that knowledge and that expertise in order to kind of recraft it? But then again, obviously, you'd need someone that speaks that language. Yeah. So it can become more complicated the more complex you want to go. It really is about striking a balance. And I think having the markets on side is, is just really important in that. Awesome. And kind of final question in this area. Have you had any experience in languages that read right to left in these courses? Or is that an area you're looking into? We, so I know that there are tools that, that can do it. We haven't had to use any of those. We don't have any languages that read um, right to left. So we haven't, I haven't got any experience in in actually putting those in, but I know that there, there are quite a few tools where that's been a consideration. I have come across quite a few issues using custom fonts and different characters. So, for example, like Greek and Romanian, they'll have a different alphabet. And right. if your client provides you a font that you need to use to, to fit with their branding, you know, sometimes you might be missing those characters. And unfortunately, the only time you might find out is when the market sees it, because I don't read Greek. And some of the you know people in our company may not read Greek, and um, so when it gets translated and it, it gets pushed into that custom font, there's not much way of checking until it goes back to the market, and they might raise some issues. So, um, yeah, they're the only real issues we've kind of come across in terms of different kind of alphabets as well. And most of the time, if you've got a website font or a generic font like your kind of Arial's Times New Roman. Helvetica or whatever, then you don't, you know, you necessarily won't, won't come up with those those issues. It's only really if you need to use like a custom font from your client to follow their branding that, you know, it needs to be applicable for every single alphabet that they need to use. Awesome. Thank you, Jen. So what how I imagined it, I didn't think it was just going to be a, a simple process. Um, so there's lots of considerations <laughs> um, when translating. It's, it's an area I'm going to be looking into um, a lot more this year. I think the need is now ramped up. So I think I'm I'm yeah. going to start to investigate certain tools um, and see how we can do that. It's quite clear that probably the translation piece um, is quite a big piece and you need to add it. It needs to be like a tangible part of your kind of project life cycle. And it's probably, yeah. there's probably various, various stages of review, I, I take it, to make sure that these these courses are absolutely right. Um, exactly, yeah. And, and I think that, that that's kind of what's potentially missing from these new tools when we were saying about translating translation capabilities they've definitely increased but it's the review stages and as i say as we were saying kind of having the markets tailor and have their input that can sometimes be something that you know is, is a little bit more complex to manage but yeah it's quite a big undertaking you know we have a team really that kind of specialize in that and you know we work very closely with them in terms of development it's a big project you know you deal with especially where we're dealing with european markets you know that's 
25 different market language versions most of the time. And um, you'll have kind of nuances between them. Uh, You know, you'll get countries taking multiple languages. You have to kind of deal with that. Whereas most of the time you would give one version to one market. You're like, okay, Ireland, here's the Ireland version. When you have places like Switzerland, you know, they have three languages that they speak. And you have kind of Belgium will have two or have Flemish or French. Um, So there's a a lot of of different ways that that has to be managed. And on the other side of that, you know, on the LMS system, on the client LMS that needs to be managed, how do you offer those different versions? Um, So, yeah, there's a a lot of kind of (laughs) additional parts to it. (laughs) Awesome. Um, Thank you very much for that, Jen. That was really good. Um, I've written lots of notes and lots of takeaways for me to investigate further. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, so just finally, before we wrap up, um, I'm asking all of my guests to share one thing that you're either reading, watching or learning that you found um, interesting that people out there listening um, may find interesting. Oh, well, I mean, obviously the expert you said podcast has been on quite often (laughs) but uh yeah apart from netflix and you know watching all of netflix because we're in in the lockdown period i think that um i've been looking on udemy quite a lot their online courses and you know their additional training and upskilling is is something that we've kind of been looking into because you know why you've got this time similar to you know companies wanting their clients to to take their learning while they're all at home you know it's a perfect opportunity for us as well to look at upskilling, you know, see what we can do to get ahead of the curve in terms of, you know, this this potential rush for remote learning that's that's probably going to be coming our way from, you know, different clients or, you know, different corners of the market. I think everyone's going to be looking at increasing their e-learning or uh, their potential deliverables to uh, to clients without any face-to-face. So, um, yeah, it's a good website to use for all kinds of different software skills anything like that so yeah awesome thanks for the share and, <laughs> and the plug thank you very much um, and, uh, just quickly so so my share is i don't have any particular share but one thing i do at the beginning of every year is look up um e-learning trends and predictions for the year so i would urge people to start looking at e-learning trends for 2021 and just seeing where they are um, in alignment to uh, kind of where the trends and the predictions are going. So thanks again, Jen, and I hope. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Next one. Yeah, definitely. Thanks a lot, Dan. <laughs>